at Channel Africa One and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Top stories is South Africa to require financial evidence from the UAE on members of the Gupta family. Lesotho South Africa-based diplomats have been given 72 hours to leave the country, and the U.S. condemns Nigeria's ban on Twitter. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Jolani Toulon. South Africa's National Director of Public Prosecutions, Shamila Batoy, says they require financial evidence from the United Arab Emirates on members of the Gupta family who are wanted in South Africa on charges of corruption, money laundering and fraud. The NPA's investigating directorate issued warrants of arrest for the Guptas last week and asked Interpol for assistance to get them deported to South Africa. Batoy says the suspect's bank records will help them with the investigation into the corruption they committed in South Africa. She says there will be legal processes with regards to the extradition. Hopefully once that happens, there will be legal processes with regard to the extradition of those persons. To put it very, very simply, that is essentially what it means. It means Interpol working to assist in tracing these persons and then once whereabouts have been established to work with the local authorities to effect arrests. Earlier, Justice Minister Ronald Lamola said the extradition treaty with the United Arab Emirates that will allow for the extradition of members of the Gupta family will come into effect on the 10th of July. Lamola, however, indicated that the UAE was not cooperating with South Africa according to the treaty that was signed between the two countries in 2018. He says the treaty is expected to allow for greater cooperation between the two states on legal matters. The treaties will come into force 10 July 2021. It is common cause that South Africa has persons of interest who frequent the UAE and are believed to be in the UAE. All our requests were sent in terms of Article 44 of the United Nations Conventions Against Corruption, the Convention. Irrespective of the fact that both South Africa and the UAE ratified this convention, regrettable, we have to date not experienced the level of, of appreciation and cooperation which is required in terms of the convention in the fight against corruption from the UAE. 
The Lesotho government has confirmed that several of its South Africa-based diplomats have been expelled from the country for illicit trade in duty-free alcohol. In a statement released on Thursday, the Lesotho Foreign Affairs and International Relations Ministry said the diplomats had been declared persona non grata and had been given 72 hours to leave the country. The ministry straight said the diplomats will face disciplinary action once they return to Lesotho. The United States has condemned Nigeria's ban on Twitter. The U.S. Department of State spokesperson Ned Price said the order had no place in a democracy and contravened freedom of expression. It was put in place last week after a post by President Muhammadu Buhari was removed. Despite the suspension, Nigerians have continued to access Twitter using private networks. The government has vowed to prosecute those violating the ban. It says its decision to block the site is unrelated to the removal of for the president's tweet. And finally, the Department of Health of South Africa has conceded that it is falling behind with its vaccination program because of the hold on the release of the Johnson & Johnson vaccines. The vaccines can only be distributed once the American regulator, the FDA, gives the green light pending the outcome of its investigations into contamination issues at a plant in the U.S. 1.2 million doses of the vaccine are awaiting release from the Aspen plant in Kabecha province, of which 500,000 have been secured for the vaccination of teachers. Another 30 million doses were expected to arrive in the country in the next few weeks. By last night, more than 1.6 million people have been vaccinated, of which more than 1 million received their first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. Department of Health Director General Dr. Sandy Lebutelezi says because of the constraints of the delivery of vaccines, they are failing to meet their targets. There has been a problem as well aware through contamination that happened in the factory in the U.S., hence the Food and, and Drug Administration, which is what is called FDA, is still going to release those vaccines. Hence, we've not received uh, those vaccines, except those single dose that were done through the Sisonga trial that we, uh, we used, which was not really the commercial vaccines, but rather the research stock that we're using. But because of the supply constraint that we have as a country, we are unable to move as fast as we can uh, as South Africa. Recapping the top stories, Asawa, South Africa to require financial evidence from the UAE on members of the Gupta family. Lesotho's South Africa-based diplomats have been given 72 hours to leave the country. And finally, the U.S. condemns Nigeria's ban on Twitter. For Channel Africa, I'm Cholani Tulo. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Change Your Game is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially youth, on the African continent. Last year, Google named me as one of the brightest young minds in the world. The program seeks to portray various opportunities and options that are available for entrepreneurs. I came up with the way for the world not to part. It focuses and highlights real issues concerning entrepreneurship. There are so many people whose potential is still untapped. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. Channel Africa, the African perspective.
A very warm welcome to you. This is African Dialogue, the Friday edition of African Dialogue. It's the 11th of June. And we're coming to you live from South Africa at the SABC headquarters in Johannesburg. My name is Ayanda Mkwanazi and together with uh, Tidi Malo Magao and Tumelo Zulu, we'll take you through African Dialogue. Well, on our first segment, we have our one-on-one as usual. And today I'm joined on the line by the Democratic Republic of Congo's ambassador to South Africa and D of the Diplomatic Corps, Ben Mpoko. We are going to speak to him about the complex challenges that the DRC is currently facing, the weakening security, the DRC's relationship with South Africa, and how can the country be brought to stability, the stability that is so much requires. Ambassador, good morning to you, and thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Uh, thanks for having me. How have you been keeping at this time? I'm sorry? How have you been keeping this at this time? Oh, it's it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. We understand that you are a very busy, uh, busy man, and we really want to get into the crux of our conversation with you. You know, the DRC is experiencing a wave of uh, challenges at the moment. There's a humanitarian crisis. There's a security crisis. Uh, you know... If we look at the DRC at the moment, we always say it's such a complex uh, country. What do we mean? Because we are looking at these multifaceted challenges at the moment. Yeah, right now we are facing all those challenges that you have mentioned. Uh, we started, of course, as you know, with the COVID uh, pandemic, which everybody is suffering from. Uh, we did experience the outbreak of Ebola, which we, uh, we now we are controlling it. It was put under control. Um, and then um, we just recently, we have this uh, volcano eruption, in, um, which has destroyed uh, villages, lives, crops, uh, destroyed and so forth. Uh, some of the infrastructures, uh, basic infrastructure has been destroyed as a result of this volcano, which erupts every about every 20 years. And at this time, uh, the eruption of volcano was also uh, um, com- complemented by the earthquakes, which is uh, quite a usual phenomenon. So in addition to that, we have the challenges of the armed groups uh, roaming around in the eastern Congo. And all this uh, put together uh, is creating a major challenge for our young government. <laughs> Looking at, at, at this um, deeper ambassador, you know, the security situation is also very worrying in the DRC. Uh, yet the president, uh, Felix Chisekedi, did announce a state of siege. Are we able to assess the impact of that announcement till now? They set a stage they've been in place for one month, but they are making enormous amount of progress. Um, they are occupying the territories that were previously uh, controlled by the armed groups. So, um, he didn't, so that uh, decision was a correct one, and we are making a very good progress. Of course, as you know, we also have UN troops there uh, who are helping. In addition to that, we have a SADC brigade uh, comprised of uh, South African, Tanzanian, and Malawian troops. So there is a lot of, um, uh, uh, I would I say, uh, fires from uh, 
uh, a lot of initiative from the DRC government and all those uh, that are involved, uh, all those uh, initiatives that I just mentioned, uh, they're making good progress. And so uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but before we get there, uh, we, we are facing major challenges. <clears throat> What has led to this insecurity, uh, especially, you know, to persist? Um, there's also this large contingent of UN peacekeeping forces and the military guard. But but yet we still see um, threats to the security of the DRC. Well, it's a very complex situation because, uh, as you know, those armed groups, uh, they are being sponsored by some... Uh, People outside the country, uh, as you know, we 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 in at the level of the African Union, uh, the decision is what that was made was to make sure that we silence the guns. Uh, and uh, when the President Ramaphosa was uh, President of African Union, that was one of his priorities. And uh, President Tshisekedi has inherited that. So we have problems not only in the RC, but you know what happened in Chad, what happened in Nigeria with the Boko Haram, uh, what happened in Ethiopia, in Tigray, uh, what happened in South Sudan. So the continent is facing uh, security challenges. But as long as we work together uh, as a continent, uh, I think we can overcome those uh, those difficulties. Would you say this in any way... Um impacts on the legacy of, of President Chisekedi? Well, he, he inherited this, those situations. He came in and he inherited that situation. So he's tackling them head on. Uh, as soon as he took over, he declared that uh, peace and security in Eastern Congo as his priority, priority number one. Uh, so that's why he's getting all the assistance he needs from international community, uh, from the SADC brigade, as I mentioned. And then also he declared a, a state of siege in the two provinces in Eastern, Eastern Congo. And, and, and we are seeing the dividends, uh, positive dividends of, uh, of that decision. Yeah. We're in conversation with the Democratic Republic of Congo's ambassador to South Africa and Dean of the Diplomatic Corps, Ben Mpoko. Let's go for a break. When we come back, we'd like to get a bit um, more personal with the ambassador, just to ask him about his tenor as the, as the ambassador, ask him about his passion for, uh, for Africa, for the DRC. And he is the longest serving ambassador in South Africa. And what does this really mean to him? Let's do that after this break. In the quest to find meaning from the ancient cosmic knowledge and meta science, its connection with the knowledge capital shaping the African mind, we explore the uncharted African brain from the Dagon people to the Zulus, from the Maasai to the Yoruba people. Join Sir Max, a knowledge premier. Every Friday, 8 a.m. Central African time, as he trots the continent to assemble Africa's top minds, from political to corporate and spiritual leaders, from scholars to rebels, from cutting-edge literature to disruptors, from scientists to athletes. Masterclass Africa is about leadership, indigenous wisdom dissemination, and consciousness that must drive the agenda of the African continent and the diaspora. 
Masterclass Africa, a show not to be missed, only on Channel Africa Radio. Welcome back. You are still listening to African Dialogue. It's 15 minutes after 11 Central African time. We're in conversation with the Democratic Republic of Congo's Ambassador to South Africa and Dean of the Diplomatic Corps, Ben Mpoko. Now, uh, Ambassador, you arrived in South Africa in 1995. What was the reason? Uh, in 1995, I was working for the United Nations uh, Development Program, UNDP, in New York. Uh, so after the elections, after 1994 elections, uh, it was decided that it was time uh, for the UN to open offices in South Africa as a, as a, as a free country. So I was the first person uh, to be designated to come and open a UN office. So when I landed here in 95, I came with United Nations Development Program. Uh, so I served UN. Uh, in South Africa for five years, uh, from 95 to 2000. So that was my first uh, assignment uh, in South Africa. <laughs> and what was it like during those years? It was just after the political uprisings. We just had a new government installed in the country. What was it like opening these offices here? It was an amazing experience because what happened is that uh, uh, in New York, in 1991, um, uh, there was a debate in the Security Council because at that time, uh, uh, later President Mandela was released from prison, and the debate in the Security, security Council was now that uh, Nelson Mandela is free, what do we do, we as a UN, about the sanctions that the UN has imposed against the apartheid regime? Do we keep the sanctions or we continue? So I was uh, asked uh, by the security, by the uh, Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, uh, to they, they asked my advice. What do we do? I said, no. If the issue is the President Nelson Mandela, why don't we ask him to see what he thinks? So they uh, they, they accepted the proposal. So I was sent. Um, there was a delegation led by the former president of Liberia, uh, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf. At that mm. time, she was my boss in New York with the United Nations. So we went uh, to ask that question to Mr. Mandela, who was the, the guest of honor to the African Union uh, summit in Dakar in Senegal. So we went, we met with him for about two hours. So at the end of their meeting, he told us, he said, listen, you tell the Secretary General that Nelson Mandela is free, but South Africa is not free. So we should keep, they should keep the sanctions until after the elections. So that's where the, the sanctions were kept on. So after the election in 1995, then I was selected uh, to come and uh, open the office in South Africa. And when I landed, I went to see uh, former President Mandela, and uh, he was very pleased to see me because he remembered that we had met in Dakar. Uh, so I was like one of his, uh, among his key, advi- uh, key advisors uh, in the government, because as you know, most the government was new. A lot of people came either from exile or from prisons or from the European Union. They'd never been in government before. So as a UN, we, 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 kind of had, we had to hold their hands 
to you know uh, interact with all the ministries or the departments uh, and, and kind of show them some of the ways in terms of how, how to handle uh, the management of the country. So it was a very rewarding, rewarding experience for me. Mm. And have you always had a passion for for politics? Not at all. Um, I spent most of my career in international banking. Um, I ended up UN accidentally um, because I retired from international banking, so (laughs) I was offered uh, a position in the UN, and uh, because that position. I had to do with interacting and helping the continent of Africa. So I said, okay, because I have a banking experience, I have an opportunity to help the continent, why not? So that's why I accepted the position uh, of uh, uh, representative of the UN in South Africa. You're also the longest serving ambassador in South Africa. What does this mean to you? Yeah, so I served the UN for five years because with the United Nations, you cannot be in for more than five years, from 95 to 2000. So in 2001, uh, there was a change in government in Congo. Uh, the late uh, President Laura Kabila was assassinated. Uh, so his son, who became president, asked me if I, I, since I have already been in South Africa, and he said, I need South Africa. Uh, would you please serve my ambassador there? Uh, because with all the challenges that they're uh, facing here as a new president, I, South Africa, I need SADC. So I accepted, uh, okay, he gives me the opportunity to serve my country, so why not? So I've been since uh, now as a dean of my court, the longest country. Uh, the main task is to be the link. Hello, Ambassador. We are breaking up with you very badly there. Um, are you able to stay on the line and we try to reconnect with you? Because I think it's very important that we hear what you are saying there. I don't know if you can hear me. Can you hear me now? Okay, very well, yeah. Okay, okay, you can continue. You're talking about your role as a Dean of yeah. Diplomatic Corps. Yeah, the Dino Diplomatico is the longest serving ambassador in a particular country. So since I've been ambassador since 2001, I, I exercise the role of the diplomatic corps. The main task of which is to be the link of um, ambassador. Okay, I really apologize for that. I'm battling to hear you. I'm going to put you back to um, the producers to just try and establish your line. We might have to just give you a redial again because we still have about uh, seven minutes of this conversation. We will try and reconnect with you once more. Change Your Game is a weekly entrepreneurial program that targets entrepreneurs, especially youth, on the African continent. Last year, Google named me as one of the brightest young minds in the world. The program seeks to portray various opportunities and options that are available for entrepreneurs. 
I came up with the way for the world not to part. It focuses and highlights real issues concerning entrepreneurship. There are so many people whose potential is still untapped. At Change Your Game, we believe entrepreneurs are the key drivers of tomorrow's African innovations and essential to creating a thriving African economy. Southern Africa, the African perspective. Channel Africa brings you Science Tech Africa, a program that talks about science and technology stories in relation to Africa. Do tune in Saturday at 8 o'clock Central African time or stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. And don't forget we also own the Southern African DSTV audio bouquet, Channel 802. Channel Africa, from the African perspective. We have you back with us, Ambassador uh, Ben Mpoko. Can you hear me loud and clear? Yes, I can hear. Thank you. I'm crossing the, the Botswana border, so because I'm coming from Botswana, so the link was bad. Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, please, can you re-explain uh, that diplomatic corps role? Yes. Um, as a dean of the diplomatic corps, you assume the responsibility of being the link between the diplomatic corps and the international institutions based in the country and the government of South Africa and other institutions. So you became a liaison be- between the two so that uh, if there are issues of concern to the South African government with respect to do the diplomatic corps, they call the dean. Uh, and the dean will be the link between the two uh, and the dean will express those concerns to the diplomatic corps and vice versa. Uh, if a diplomatic corps is experiencing problems, not only problems, if they want to do something innovative collectively, uh, if they want to help the, the schools or the children, or they are coming up with a program to do, and sometimes they, go, they, 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 they also uh, brief the dean, and this is what we want to do. Sometimes they ask the dean experience because they say, you've been the longest serving ambassador in the country, you know everybody, uh, we plan to do A, B, C, D. What do you think? And uh, so the dean will advise, uh, I will advise those diplomatic corps how to approach, who to, who to approach and how to approach them in the government, in the, uh, in the national government, the provincial government, or the institutions, uh, the civil society, because the diplomatic corps also interact with, this, uh, with the uh, civil society when they have a program, the children program, uh, all kinds of programs. Uh, so each country has, if you're Japan, you come to South Africa, maybe you want to have a link with the industrial sector of South Africa. And sometimes they ask advice. If I, if this is my program, uh, who should I contact? How do I go about it, and so forth? So it keeps uh, the dean very, very, very busy. Yeah. Uh, I've got two, three minutes left with you, um, Ambassador. I've got two questions. The first one: How important is the DRC's relationship to South Africa? And, and then, lastly, if I if I may just squeeze this one in, you know, since you've been the ambassador from two thousand and one. Do you feel that um, you've achieved what you had set out to to achieve? Yeah. Um, the, the relationship between the DRC and South Africa 
when I first became ambassador, there was a lot of uh, insecurity in the DRC, uh, the political internal political turmoil. So the young President Kabila needed South Africa to help us uh, hold a, a internal dialogue among the politicians in Congo. So I was able to convince the President uh, Mbeki at that time to host the Congolese Inter-Dialogue Conference. Uh, we spent uh, you know, months uh, in Sun City, uh, and then we came out from Sun City with a national agreement, uh, how to hold elections, when to hold elections, and so forth. So we found peace among ourselves, uh, thanks to the, uh, uh, the, the Sun City uh, agreement with the implication of uh, President, President Mbeki and his government. Uh, and since then, uh, we we have signed more bilateral agreements with South Africa than any other country in the world. Uh, we interact with South Africa in all the sectors. Uh, with, uh, we are talking about peace and security issues, uh, economic issues, trade issues, uh, infrastructure issues like Inga, Dam, uh, and so forth. So we have really consolidated our relationship with South Africa uh, since my uh, uh, coming to this country as an uh, ambassador uh, from the DRC. And you're very, very busy as well. What are you busy with at the moment? Okay. Uh, in addition to the bilateral relationship, in addition to my uh, responsibility at Dino the Diplomatic Corps, I'm also the focal point of DRC for SADC countries. As you know, there are 16 SADC countries. And uh, I'm the focal point for DRC for SADC. As we speak, I'm, I'm just crossing the border. I'm leaving uh, Botswana, where I accompany my prime minister and my minister of foreign affairs uh, to discuss the issues of uh, common interest. Uh, so I'm very busy with the SADC issues uh, as, uh, as well, in addition to the bilateral issues with South Africa. Thank you so much for taking time to speak to us. We know that you are a very busy man, but thank you that you, you, you made some time to speak to us on African Dialogue. That's the voice of Ambassador Ben Mpoko. He's the Democratic Republic of Congo's ambassador to South Africa and the Dean of Diplomatic Course. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Let's move on to what's trending uh, after our quick break. Vision 2030 radio show only on Channel Africa is an educational talk show designed from an African perspective to give South Africans an opportunity to take on key leadership roles in understanding, promoting and supporting the South African government's national development plan, which is the domestication of the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals. Catch the Vision 2030 show every Tuesday morning between 10 and 11 a.m. Only on Channel Africa, DSTV Channel 802 and Open View Radio number 628, Vision 2030. Your plan, your future. Good morning to you, Dimelo Zulu. We're going to go right into what's trending on social media. Perhaps we can start with the G7 leaders meeting this weekend for the first time in two years. And more interestingly, South Africa has been invited. Indeed, thank you very much, Ayanda, for having me. South Africa has been invited at the G7 uh, summit that is going to be taking place in the UK. Um, that's where, you know, 
the top seven richest countries meet and discuss bilateral relations. That's where they discuss business opportunities as well as uh, politics around themselves and wealth, you know. You know. And they've extended the invitation down to um, South Africa, India, and uh, another two, uh, some more two countries that have been like your know, South Korea as well has mm. been uh, um, invited there. That's where obviously they're going to be part of those. And then the president of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, said that uh, this is going to be an opportunity for him to, to, you know, to talk on behalf of not only South Africa but SADC and the and the AU United. I mean, the African Union. Mm-hmm. Africa as a whole to really talk about the vaccines because one of the main main things that's going to be discussed at the the summit is going to be uh, COVID-19 and the impact that it's had on these countries Mm -hmm. and um, the discussion that Ramaphosa is going to be engaging in is one whether you're going to talk about the the waiver Mm-hmm. Uh, of the the patent on on the vaccine, I mean, if that is lifted, if now all countries would be allowed to produce their own vaccines, this would be, uh, you know, one of the biggest victories uh, against COVID nineteen. So that is we're expecting that, and we know that uh, the invitation came from uh, um, the French President Macron. Um, who invite, who was just here touring Africa not so long ago mm. and uh, expressed some, you know, positivity around Africa, you know, giving South Africa and Africa the nods to say they are, you know, doing the right thing or you know, going in the right direction. So now this gives Africa an opportunity to sit at the table with the big giants to put their case across, you know. Not only that, but also strengthen relations with the uh, with the mm. big uh, with the G7 as well, because you never know what uh, what favors you'd need. You'd know that also the G7 are some of those countries that have um, slightly of much of a control in things like the World Bank. So having a good relations uh, with those uh, G7 countries is going to work in the favor of South Africa. Also, again, looking at issues like. Um, your low shedding now, which is what we're experiencing now in South Africa, ESCOM as well. You know mm. that South Africa has been um, taking up loans from World Bank. In fact, mm. the ESCOM has been doing so. So it, it's it's going to be an interesting one. So we understand that the president is going to be leaving today for the UK. It's going to be an interesting one-on-one uh, meeting, one face-to-face rather meeting, mm. which hasn't been done in two years. Mm. Okay, and then we move to uh, also things back home where our health minister, Dr. Zwilim Kiza, is on special leave pending that investigation on the digital vibes uh, story. Yeah, now the health minister, Zwilim Kiza, has chosen to take special leave or extended leave. Mm. Um, And most of the analysts who really looked at people who've taken extended leave, the one sentiment that came across was that people never come back from extended leave. Mm. In fact, from extended leave is either they resign or something. Um, because uh, evidence is mounting up against the minister um, with uh, with the with the company that got the the 140 million rand mm. tender, um, which is a lot of money. And there was a Baki, a Toyota Land Cruiser Baki that Zulim Kiza's sons have been, you know, taking pictures with on their Facebook mm. in their farms. Um, so you know. But calls are quite, there's a, a large amount of calls are saying to the president of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, to say, why are you not firing 
the minister, why are you allowing him? Mm. Or in mm. fact, making him take uh, leave as opposed to firing him or at least putting him on suspension, which is one of the resolutions of the ANC that when you have been accused or even charged with something, you step aside. Mm. Now, when uh, the, we understand that the SIU is going to be looking into this and very soon they will be concluding the investigation, they will come up with a report that will basically implicate or exonerate the minister because the minister maintains that he is never involved in, he was never involved in procurement issues at the department but what we know is that the minister is now currently on special leave or extended leave the the, the turn of things here is that the person who replaced him that's where the outcry is with the mm, public mm. Uh, that Zulim uh, Kiz uh, was replaced with the tourism minister Mamuloko mm. Kubai who she may have been thrown in the deep end she might have been thrown in the deep end because Mm. one she's not a doctor two she's never worked in the health sector she might have managerial experience and all that but during a pandemic like we are facing Mm. Zuelim Kize came in as a doctor as well not only that but also came with managerial experience and political experience as well so he had a a, you know a a trio a trio of 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 experience that helped him to to try and push the department you know that before Zuelim Kize there was Aaron Mutwali who really mm. sped up things. Arum Zali was seen as one of those hard workers who was, was just um, unfortunate that the NHI, the National Health Insurance thing, was the one that really derailed him because he was so passionate about that. But uh, Zulim Kise has been replaced temporarily mm. by the tourism minister who's now wearing two hats, both mm. as tourism minister as well as health minister. Mm. Thank you so much. We'll leave it there. When we come back, we go to our third segment. Channel Africa brings you Science Tech Africa, a program that talks about science and technology stories in relation to Africa. Do tune in Saturday at 8 o'clock Central African time or stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. And don't forget, we also own the Southern African DSTV audio bouquet, Channel 802. Channel Africa, from the African perspective. Live Well is a show focused on the health of all Africans, from mental to sexual health, diseases to exercise. We discuss all things healthy and holistic African living. So let's talk, debate and motivate with Live Well, Mondays 10 a.m. CAT on Channel Africa, giving you the African perspective. Welcome back to African Dialogue. Time to go to our third segment where we zoom in into a country. Today we're looking at Zambia where three renowned international constitutional lawyers have applied to join the eligibility case on the, eligibi- on the eligibility of President Edgar Lungu to contest the August 12th elections. The three constitutional professors are Professor uh, Chaloka Beyani, Professor Melvin Mbao and Professor Kefes Lumina. And Professor Lumina now joins me on the line to have this discussion. Thank you so much for giving us your time. You're welcome. Professor, I understand today is quite uh, an important day in the courts of Zambia. Why, why is that so? Well, the Constitutional Court is uh, scheduled to deliver its uh, judgment in the petition uh, between the Legal Resources Foundation and two others against uh, 
Mr. Edgar Longo. Uh, the, the judgment turns on the issue of whether uh, Mr. Longo has violated Article 52, 1 and Article 1063 of the Constitution of Zambia. What motivated you to take on this case? The case has, in our view, uh, quite significant implications for constitutionalism and the rule of law in Zambia. Uh, Obviously, as professors of uh, constitutional law, we were motivated by a desire to provide the court with um, additional information as well as insights based on our experience in respect of the legal principles that the court needed to engage with in order to arrive at the just outcome. And um, also looking at the timing, elections are close. Are you expecting a positive outcome? If not, are you going to contest it further? Look, we... As uh, friends of the court, we do not have a personal interest in the outcome of the matter, uh, save for the professional interest in seeing to it that the court um, implements its mandate as guardian of the Constitution under Article 128 of the Constitution of Zambia in a way that promotes the values and principles that are enshrined in the Constitution. So it is not up to us to... uh, Take the matter further. It's up to you know the the parties, whichever party is dissatisfied with the outcome. Uh, what we have simply done is to try and assist the court engage with uh, what we believe are the pertinent principles that would help it arrive at a just outcome. But I should also mention that the Constitutional Court is the final arbiter of constitutional issues with the exception of those arising under Chapter 3 of the Constitution, which deals with the Bill of Rights. And for that reason, if decisions are not subject to appeal, the court can, of course, you know, of course has the power to review its decisions. But as I've mentioned, it's entirely up to any of the parties to the proceedings that is not happy to engage with the court further. Just lastly, as well, uh, Professor, the um, you know the importance of this. We cannot stress the importance of this because it's the democracy. It's uh, everything is riding on this moment. No, absolutely. As I mentioned, I mean, the case has significant implications for constitutionalism and the rule of law in uh, in Zambia. Uh, There is a particular reason or purpose behind the provision in question, that is Article 106, uh, Paragraph 3. And this uh, is based on the need to safeguard uh, democracy, constitutional democracy, by ensuring that no single person is able to perpetuate their stay in the presidency beyond that which is prescribed by the Constitution. And this provision has its history. So the, the, the background to it is the experience of Zambia uh, concerning the 27-year rule of President Kenneth Kaunda from 1964 up until 1991. So that provision was actually introduced in 1991 to avoid a repeat of that perpetuation. 
of the presidency. Well, we look forward to hearing that uh, ruling today. Thank you so much, Professor Sefes Lumina, for giving us your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Let's go right on to our last segment. We're going on our money segment. We're looking at prevention versus treatment within the medical aid insurance. We're still continuing looking at medical aid insurance in South Africa. Here's an interview with Tracy Janssens from Alexandra Forbes Health. So medical aids um, or medical schemes are governed by the Medical Schemes Act. And the regulations of that act basically set out compulsory conditions and procedures that all medical schemes have to cover. These are referred to as the Prescribed Minimum Benefits, or PMBs. And those PMBs largely focus on treatment for a condition and not the preventative treatments and medicines. So medical schemes are not forced or expected to pay for preventative medicines or treatments, but rather for the, for the actual treatment of the condition. So as an example, um, confinements or giving birth is part of the PMBs. However, contraceptives are not part of the PMB. So medical schemes do not have to cover a, a contraceptive, but they do, however, have to cover birth. Another example, malaria. The treatment of malaria has to be covered by all medical schemes, irrespective of what option you're on. However, the prophylaxis for, for malaria does not have to be covered. So most medical schemes, because they are forced to cover certain things, they will cover the PMBs. But what we have seen a trend of medical schemes actually starting to include more preventative treatment over the last few years. They're starting to provide more of these benefits. So we've seen a lot of um, screening and preventative benefits emerge as separate benefits, where schemes are starting to cover things like flu injections, mammograms, pap smears, and certain vaccines in their risk benefits. Um, but it is not a forced benefit that they have to cover. Some medical schemes are even starting to include one or two GP sort of checkup visits or children's pediatrician visits as part of these benefits so that they are starting to look at more the preventative type of things. An interesting one is the COVID vaccine, which um, can actually be seen as preventative and actually has been made a PMB. Mm. So medical schemes are actually being forced to cover that one. And if you want to listen to the full interview, uh, it will be available on our website on podcast. That's on www.channelafrica.co.za. That is Tracy Janssens from Alexandra Forbes Health. In fact, if you want to listen to all of our interviews today, you can go right to that website address. For now, let's hand over to Joelani Tulo with the business news. Thank you, Ayanda. Good morning. Kenya expects its economy to expand by 6.6% this year compared to 0.6% last year. Presenting his budget proposals for his fiscal year, Finance Minister Ukar Yatani said the budget requires a lot of balancing due to the prevailing tough economic times brought about by the coronavirus pandemic. Sarah Kimani has the story. Kenya's growth dipped to 0.6% last year from 5.9% the previous year, according to Yatani. He blamed it on measures taken to control the spread of COVID-19. Yatani cautiously expects recovery to begin this year, pegged on increasing the number of people covered by the country's COVID-19 vaccination program. At least 1 million people had received their first dose of COVID-19 vaccination by the end of May this year. 
East Africa's economy will still need to heavily borrow to fill a 7.5% budget deficit, which is higher than the 3% recommended by the regional economic bloc, the East African community. The Dakota Consortium has been announced as the equity partner for South African Airways. The public-private partnership will put 51% of the airline in the hands of the private sector. The consortium says it aims to relaunch SAA as an iconic South African brand, which will seek to attract the best local talent. The announcement was made a short while ago by the Minister of Public Enterprises, Pravin Gordon. South African energy expert Chris Yellen says the move by President Soro Ramaphosa to lift the power generation license threshold in an effort to reduce load shedding is a step in the right direction. Ramaphosa lifted the threshold for people to generate power from megawatt to 100 megawatt. Yellen says this will open many doors to new generation capacity, but it can take two years to reduce the load shedding in the country. He says there's also many energy suppliers applying for the licenses. Yellen says this will give ESCOM needed competitors. They need to look to alternative suppliers to fill the gap that ESCOM cannot uh, meet. Currently about a 5,000 megawatt gap. These sort of projects, 10 to 100 megawatts, are not insignificant in terms of financial requirements. So a 100 megawatt plant is going to cost a couple of billion rand. This is not for the faint-hearted, but the market for small renewable energy installations on rooftop is really a burgeoning area, and it's something that entrepreneurs can get into. Africa needs to seriously consider adding solar panel technology to its energy mix despite many challenges in this field. This emerged at the Inlet Africa Energy Conference in Cape Town in the Western Cape Province in South Africa. Delegates spent their last day discussing how solar panel energy can change the commercial and industrial energy landscape on the continent. South Africa and Egypt are the only African countries that have joined the so-called Gigawatt Club, where substantial amounts of electricity are produced through solar power. Director of Energy Carbon Management in South Africa, Joe Dean says more solar energy is needed. And we need to get in now because otherwise you're going to be left behind. Um, so then you will be sitting with, with, with stage four, stage five, stage six. Um, we know that load shedding is not going away. Load shedding is definitely going to be one of our friends. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's now sort of that case of when you get the schedule, like, hello, friend, yeah, we are, and everybody's got their, their, their plan. Um, but on a larger scale, especially in, in, in I would say the Jackson is more the, the, the heavy industrial sector, um, there's a lot of thinking that has to go, you know, go up in advance and a lot of planning. Toyota Motor Corporation will aim to make all its global factories carbon neutral by 2035. Speaking at an online briefing, Toyota's chief production officer, Masamichi Okada, said the automaker will focus initially on introducing new technologies for processes such as painting, coating and casting. The move by the Japanese carmaker pulls forward the goal by 15 years from 2050. Okada says in this way, the processes that have high generation of carbon dioxide will be focused to reduce as much as possible or even eliminate emissions. Taking a look at the financial indicators at the Sawa, one US dollar is trading at 410.96 Nigerian Naira, 10.60 Botswana Pula, 107.81 Kenyan Shilling, and at 22.54 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, the dollar is trading at 505 Brazilian Hue, 71.73 Russian Ruble, 72.91 Indian Rupees, 638 Chinese Won, and at 13.57 to the South African Rand. The US dollar is also trading at 70 pence to the British pound and at 82 cents to the euro. Taking a look at the commodities, gold is trading at $1,900 and platinum at $1,156 per ounce, while burnt crude oil was last trading at $72.57 a barrel. For Channel Africa, I'm Chola Tulo.
Over to you, Fikile Lingwati, with the sports news. First up in our sports update, Zimbabwe National Athletics Youth and Juniors Team's coach Bride Nuhu says the World Under-20 Championships in August gives them a platform for a reflection of their developmental progress. The championships are expected to take place from the 17th to the 22nd of August in Nairobi, Kenya. The National Athletics Association of Zimbabwe want to take advantage of the school holiday to bring in some of the targeted juniors for a camp. Earlier on, the National Association had indicated they would want both the juniors and seniors to meet for a camp this month. The seniors were scheduled to compete at the Africa Senior Championships in Nigeria, but the continental meet has since been called off. It was also going to be a platform for Olympics qualification. The South African Sports Confederation and Olympic Committee has unveiled this official kit for Team South Africa ahead of the Tokyo Summer Olympic Games in Japan. The Games are set to start on the 23rd of July after initial postponement due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. The results of the Saskox partnership with the local sportswear giant Mr. Price Sport for the official on and off the field kit has been well received by the athletes who had cited poor quality and ill-fitting kits at previous Olympic Games. Donning the new kit, 2016 Rio bronze medalist in the short put, Paralympian Tyrone Pile says he plans on giving the Games his all despite the setback of COVID-19. You always got to believe in yourself, back yourself. I think we're always going to do better, aim for higher. COVID has really affected all of us and me in particular. I think not being able to train for nearly six months, not being able to go into the gym, not being able to throw technically, I think that puts you in a real back burner. But I think with the mental aspect of the game, you have to prepare yourself for these kind of situations and work forward. And I think like even now I'm seeing myself throwing better than I've done 10 years ago. South African sprint canoeist Bridget Hartley who won a bronze medal at the 2012 London Olympics, will this year be playing a special role in Tokyo as a candidate for the International Olympic Committee's Athletes Commission. When you wear the South African kit, you always wear it with pride. The feel of walking into the stadium, representing your country with pride, and it's just like the introduction of your Olympic Games, and it's such a special moment. I am one of 30 um, international candidates of all sport codes in every country in the world. They've selected 30 of us and only four are chosen through the votes of all the Olympic athletes around the world. On to cricket news, Lungingidi and Andrik Nokia shared nine wickets to dismiss the West Indies for a miserable total of just 97 in only 40.5 overs before South Africa finished the first day of the first test at the Darren Semi Stadium in Gross Islet, St. Lucia, on 128-4 for a lead of 31. Nokia destroyed the top order with figures of 6-for-3, 8-3 in the morning session in which he, the host limped to 48-for-4 by lunch. Ngidi was wicketless in the morning session, then claimed an extraordinary 5-for-9 in the afternoon session to finish with figures of 13.57-19-5 as the West Indies recorded their lowest score against South Africa. Vice-Captain Temba Wavuma was ruled out of the test with an injury to his left hip, but is expected to be fit for the second test starting on the 18th of June. And finally, Rwanda Beach Volleyball teams gear up for the upcoming Continental Cup that will begin on the 21st of June and runs until the 28th. 
The national men's and women's beach volleyball teams are stepping up their preparations for the upcoming second and final rounds of qualifiers for this year's beach volleyball continental cup in Morocco. Since last week, head coach Jean-Paul Mana has been putting both men and women's teams through their paces as they continue intensive training sessions at Lake Kivu Beach in Rubavu District. Rwanda will be represented by two teams in the women's qualifiers who are Charlotte Njaisenga, Valentine Munazero, as well as Benita Mukandaisenga and Serafine Mutangambana. Olivia Ndangedwa, Patrick Cavallo, Akumuntu Venusti Gatinze, and Fils Habazindwari will represent the country in the men's fray. Meanwhile, Olivia Ndangedwa says he and his teammates are ready for the challenge in Morocco as they bid to book a ticket to Tokyo. That's your Sport News this hour. Thank you so much for joining us on African Dialogue this Friday. Join us again next week where we bring you more programs from an African perspective. Thank you to our um, uh, editor, Zanele Jambani. Thank you to our technical producer, is uh, Tidi Malo Makao. Thank you to Dumelo Zulu and Benjamin Moshatama. It's Friday. Have a safe weekend to you all. <laughs>